I've been pretending I was famous for the last 15 years of my life. Do you know what I mean? It's the only way to get by some days. You've just got to keep going. But you have like a kind of your own crowd anyway, don't you? Yes, both of them are very nice. And then I'm very, I'm very grateful for them every day. <laughs> And I'm Ricky, and welcome to Fierce Slay Talk, a decamp podcast where we'll be catching up with some familiar faces from the drag world and beyond, whilst delving deeper into the obstacles life has thrown at them in the journey of becoming fabulous. So shall we begin? Today's guest is an internationally renowned Manchester queen, known for her unicorn, alien, and other fantastical drag performances. It is the fantastic Cheddar Gorgeous. Hello! Hello! It's me! <laughs> now, how are you how are you doing, Cheds? I'm alright, Bob. How are you? I'm I'm alright, I'm fine. You I'm look in the lovely. garage. Well, I've just rolled out of bed, you know. Well, me too. Exactly. Who was in it with you? That's the question. Nobody. All alone, dear. We're in local lockdown here. Okay, well, listen, I've done it before. I can do it again. I pretended to be still a black. Let's get you sorted out before lockdown's finished. Thank you. But I don't... (laughs) Is that even... Is that allowed during a lockdown? How does one date during a lockdown? How does that work with bubbling? With great difficulty, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a bit like... You know when people used to have a long distance relationship and it was still dial up and you would just be a blur on the screen? Yeah, that'll be it. (laughs) (laughs) Babe, it wouldn't even be a blur on the screen. It's like having a relationship in stages like this. (laughs) We remember that. Yes, (laughs) I do. Do you know how long it took that Gaydar page to load? Crikey. Oh, God. Can you tell me, I always like to know, where did your drag name come from? Well, I have. I, I had a name before, Cheddar Gorgeous. Um, and so up to, like, I, I started drag for uh, 200 years ago, something like that. You know how it is. But I start, I, and I started, my, my original name was Cheddar Vandertrump, which was after Brie Vanderkamp. From, do you remember oh, that? I Desperate love Yes, why, I do. Why, why, why? Why do you think this hair is this colour? Oh, and, and I used to have, I used to wear big red wigs. And so I used to, I know, I know. No, I didn't. I, I mean, I did wear a silver dress on occasion. But I used to wear big red wigs. And I used to go around with a basket of cookies. And like, because he used, you know, he used to work clubs back in those days. He used to work at the door of the yeah. club. And I used to, I used to offer a, a cookie to people. And they were always like, is it a special cookie? I'm like, no, you're not special. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> but I just wanted them to have a little bit of sugar, you know what I mean, for the night ahead, because it's good to plot, isn't it? It's good to plan. So it was kind of based originally as a parody of that character. And then as I, as I grew further in the craft, as one does, um, it got to a point I spent, I spent um, God, like I spent some time away. I was abroad, being, being, being in foreign lands. 
and then um, came back and it just didn't sit anymore with what I wanted to do with my drag. So I was much more interested in a bit more gender play, a bit more of the gender F word, you know, and, and distorting those ideas of masculine and feminine beauty a little bit. And so the character didn't fit anymore. And I, so I renamed myself in 2012 um, to Cheddar Gorgeous and... This is a very long-winded answer for the question you asked. But that's always the danger of asking me a question, isn't it, really? Because I will make it last. But the, the uh, name Cheddar Gorgeous is kind of a play on Cheddar Gorge, which um, is a network of caverns underneath um, Somerset. Um, who, and they're a lot like me. Sometimes they have a strange smell and um, they're very old and they go on and on and on forever. <laughs> Okay, that makes total sense. That's great. And also, occasionally, Cheddar Gorge has a man in. Oh, yes. (laughs) That that man that they found inside. (laughs) Buried. Buried deep. (laughs) So you said that that wasn't your first ever drag name. Um, Can you remember your first ever performance in drag? Yes, I fell over. Did you? What was it like, your, your performance? My first, the first ever time I performed in drag, I w- it was for a Halloween night and it was a, a, zombie, it was a zombie pride party for a, 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 a kind of group that was around at that time called Tranarchy, which was all kind of like very punky and disruptive, like crazy stuff in, here in Manchester. And um, I was dressed in a boiler suit and then did a but and I was, I was like a zombie, and it was to cranberry zombie. It was very, you know, it was very, you know, it was about a, it was about a virus outbreak. It was very topical, and has remained so to the present day. But I had this boiler <laughs> suit on, and I did this. My my version of costume reveals are very very simplistic. It's like I have one garment and it comes off. That's my version of burlesque. So I did this reveal, and oh my god, it was a silver dress underneath as well. But I was, I wasn't on that occasion wearing a red. But um, so I pulled off this boiler suit. And it remained um, round my ankles because it was meant to have tape that came off. And then this, but this, I, I said to this boy, when the mic came up, I had the mic after, after doing the performance, I had the mic. And I said, oh, young man, there was a young, enthusiastic looking man in the front row, as there were in those days, back when you could see front rows. And um, you had, uh, I said to him, just, just could you get that off my my ankle and so instead of delicately removing the boiler suit he grabbed the top of the boiler suit and he just you know like one of those table routines where you try and pull the <laughs> tablecloth from underneath and he just went yeah. and the tape stayed on so I literally went head over heels onto the floor like bam straight onto the ground um, and that was my first experience on stage um, and I went back for more which I don't know what that says I was going to say, yeah, so you got up and did it again, so that's I fantastic. got I got straight up, I had the mic still in my hand, and I carried on with the show. Uh, yes! Yes, Yes, good. that's what it's about, that's what it's about. I love yes. that, I love that. Smiles uh, I mean, it. there have been a lot of times where I've managed to throw myself on the floor, one where I split my eye open, bled all over the stage, stuck a plaster on, finished the show, <laughs> then go to A&E. Um, do you know Peaches Christ once do you know Peaches Christ the drag yeah. you know you, Peaches Christ um, Peaches Christ really really fabulous San Franciscan drag queen who does a lot of horror show stuff one of the things she first said to me when I first started doing drag was if you fall over you've won 
She said, if you've fallen over on stage, you are the winner of the show. Like, because immediately, I mean, part of drag is about breaking that idea that we're any more special than anyone else, right? So Absolutely. immediately people build that relate, special relationship with you. They're like, oh, they fell over too. I can feel better about all of the times I fall over in my life. <laughs> of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, very much that. So what was it that you were doing before you started doing drag? What was what was the thing that, you know, you were doing before you arrived in the, all of this fabulousness? Oh, well, I've, I've had many, many lifetimes, Davina, many, <laughs> many lifetimes. Uh, life is far too short to have just the one, isn't it? And so I, um, but prior to during when I started doing drag, I was training as an anthropologist. So, um, oh, yeah, wow. I know, right? Yeah, that's how I react wow. to it as well now. When I think back, it's like, look at <laughs> I was like a serious person and everything. But what happened? What went wrong? Um, and so I was, um, and carried on, carried on working as a researcher, an observer of humanity, if you may, um, throughout my, my, me doing the drag thing. And, um, yeah, makes me so, think of all the pathways I could have chosen in life that would have you know, ended in security and financial gain. But never mind. <laughs> I think that's the opinion of most people in the media. I'm sometimes like, oh, why didn't I just become an accountant? I well, we, get, we, get <laughs> we get attention. That's what you have to think. <laughs> Although, you know, we say, why didn't I become an accountant? But with QuickBooks, you're absolutely screwed now, aren't you? <laughs> well, Sorry, yeah, this guys. Is true. This is true. The all only people that were accountant. Yeah. Put me in my phone. <laughs> this is why hairdressers are laughing because, of course, nobody could do anything as well as they could in lockdown. You're never going to get an app to do your hair. So, you know. Divina, don't <laughs> laugh fine, yet because I guarantee you, like, it's only a matter of time before the virtual drag, you know what I, I mean? mean? The constructed drag, the drag oh, that is no. totally simulation. That is learned. That is that comes from the algorithm that's testing everything that a drag queen does. That becomes financially earning. It's only a matter of time before those AI drag queens come for your gigs. I know. I mean, Crikey. I don't have that many for them to come to. For you know. For <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. Same. I hope not. I'm going to refer to that day as the day that help arrived. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people don't know this about you though that, but you are a, an actual doctor oh I am but not a medical one although sometimes when boarding flights and they ask you the question um, I, you know they see on, they see on the passport because they see the doctor don't they and they, they ask the question in the medical emergency are you willing to help out the crew upon the aircraft and, and as a result sometimes they give you like an upgrade only to premium economy do you know what I mean it's not it's not outlandish but what you say yes because and it's the truth because in a medical emergency I absolutely will be willing to help the, st the staff on the plane I mean the only thing I can do is record the experiences and write an article about it later but I haven't been untruthful and I have extra leg room so, <laughs> so but it was anthropology wasn't it that your your PhD's in and what was that focusing on was that anything to do with drag and that kind of experience itself or was it something totally different do you know the answer already because I'm, I'm curious like do you, do you know the answer you've got no I don't <gasps> no. well well Davina my um my research was about um public sex and sex work <gasps> oh my god was it really yeah but what's what's interesting is that it ended up blending a little bit with 
what happens in drag and particularly the way that drag queens play a role in gay values as sort of storytellers and um, storytellers that bring out some of the undercurrents that are, that are happening in gay villages all the time. So my work was very focused on, on kind of men who cruised and guys who colloquially called like rent boys. Um, but the, uh, the work became a lot about masculinity and a lot about um, how people move fluidly through different presentations of identity. It's getting very intense and deep, but you ask the question. Go deep Medicaid. or go home, John. Go deep <laughs> or go home, that's what I say. And so it's all about how different people presented their identities in different ways. And in a way, a lot of the work was about uh, the kind of things that happen in the dark, both in the darks of our mind and the dark, literally, of, of spaces in gay villages. And yet all of the stuff I do now is very much about what happens in the light. So it, it's... Everything connects together, doesn't it? But your drag does do, like, very much playing with those that performative uh, masculinity and femininity, doesn't it? Like, it's very much centred around that. Definitely. I didn't just forget to put a wig on today. <laughs> you know what I mean? Although I did oh, forget to put earrings on. Oh, my I God! I was, I was, <laughs> everyone's been really quiet about it and been like, oh, thank heaven she mentioned it because I was really thinking that. You know what I mean? All the people on the feed are like going, oh, thank you. Oh, good. Good. You know what I mean? It was oh, a little bit embarrassing. Ooh. But I saw your lovely, when you came on, I saw your lovely earrings. I was like, oh, crap. I've not even got earrings on. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. But, but the, my drag is very much about... Um, stripping back so what and what you notice about drag and what i feel i notice about drag is drag becomes so much about how much more you put on it's all about piling on more and more and more mm. and more and more which creates great looks and i've done like really full-on looks that are kind of very piled on yeah but i'm also really interested in what happens when you strip back those things that we might identify as about being being a man or being a woman and what happens when we strip all that back and we start layering something on top of a more neutral base as it were um so yeah i'm stripped back that's what i'm saying it's not laziness it's an intentional gesture in fact it's more effort than putting on ears uh, earrings and putting on nails no, I, I i am fully with that whenever i have to do a face which is like very neutral oh my god it takes four times as long as this Right, because when you do the big bowl thing, you've got a wig. Like, it's like, a, it's yeah! a different thing. But I want to ask you, because I know, I've known you for many, 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 uh -huh. many, many, many years. Yeah, many years. And obviously, when we first met, you, um, you maybe not at that time, but prior to that time, I know that you used to do some very diverse, quite kind of gender play, sort of punky looks. What made you move away from that? Um, yeah, I definitely did do that. Um, and it's not something that I've like completely stopped. That would be something that I would totally do again because I don't I don't feel like drag is once it's it's one set thing, it stops being interesting. You know, once it becomes, oh, this is what this person looks like all the time. It's it stops being challenging. And that's what drag is for me. It's that challenging of what is it that you expect from this person all the time? Um, so, and in a broad sense, what we expect from each other in society, right? It's about challenging those things. And I yeah. think sometimes drag can risk almost playing a little bit too much to the crowd. Now we've got a crowd, which is wonderful, and we're very grateful that there's a crowd. I mean, you might. <laughs> <laughs> well, babe, babe we've, it's all about maintaining the delusions, isn't it? You know what I mean? 
keep going. I've been, I've been pretending I was famous for the last 15 years of my life. Do you know what I mean? It's the only way to get by some days. You've just got to keep going. <laughs> but you have like a kind of your own crowd anyway, don't you? Yes, because both of them are very nice. And then... <laughs> I'm very, I'm, very, I'm very grateful for them every day. Because I don't, I don't have, like, I'm not part of, like, a house or a family or anything like that. You know, that's not, like, part of my, um, that's not part of my journey as a, a drag artist. That wasn't something that sort of happened for me. But you are definitely part of that. Do you really think you don't have a house? Well, like, I have girls that I work with, but we're not, like... Fixed. This is us. This is us. This is our ideal. This is where we go. You know, there isn't like a. We don't have like a. Are you like suggesting a mission that I've got that we've got a plan? Are you suggesting <laughs> that the family gorgeous could possibly have a plan? Because let me assure you, we really don't. You know, and it's very it's very rare that we get together in one big room. And I think, but I'd, I'd, I'd say that 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 for me is the fam. And what's interesting is rather than that which is declared formally as like the brand for me. A drag family is very much about those people whom you share community and the people whom you share advice and whom you help with gigs and who help you with gigs and what to do. And like, you know, Licorice Black practically dresses me all of the time now, literally. Um, And I wouldn't cope without her, you know. So, and I know that you have those people in your life because, you know, they've told me that you're those people in your life and you're there for each other in that way. Yeah, def- like I definitely have those, you know, those people that we work with, but it's not, I don't think it's codified in the same way. And we certainly never sort of, we never named it. We never said this is this or this is, you know, whereas some people do definitely do that. You know, you find somebody who you uh, empathise with, you understand each other, you work in a similar way and you say, okay, we want to stick together. We want to work together. And actually we should call ourselves this this should be our group so how how was it and and when when because i've known about the family gorgeous for like what feels like forever but when did it actually start um it started probably around that 2012 time because it started with we called ourselves the sisters gorgeous before and they're they're people with very different names i I was just very lucky because i was the only one that had a really good name that everyone would want to be part of you know because gorgeous is a good word it's a good word. Um, so it started back then in a club night called Bollocks, spelt with an X, it wasn't mm. swearing. Um, and it, it started with us just wanting, you know, we were a group of people who, who were lumped into the same place. And we, we didn't have gigs. We, didn't, we weren't earning anything. And it was just a way to further um, solidify that thing that we felt we shared. But uh, you do that all the time with show teams. Show teams, don't you? Do you know what I mean? You have your bar show teams. And what's... What's, we have a really different history, I think, in the UK when it comes to drag family. I very unusually had a drag mama. And, but my drag mama was just a random drag queen on a night out who declared herself mm. my mother. And then she taught me how to wear heels, how to walk in heels. And then she promptly gave up drag. So I think she was literally <laughs> just looking for somebody else to carry on the punishment. You know what I mean? It was almost like I was serving the remainder of her time. Um... But we, we have a very different history. And I think our, our, our families, if you like, they end up built around bars and they end up built around those places that we come together. And so we maybe just, we haven't, we've only just started calling them families because of the influence of American drag culture that, on, on us. Um, so I, th- I think it's, 
one of those things that's going to change and going to grow. And I, I like hearing, I, I would like people to articulate more the importance of things like show teams because they do become your sisters. Mm. You know, you do build those bonds. You do self-consciously take on the idea that this relationship has a different form of weight that's not, not the same as biological family. Sometimes it's better than biological family for a lot of people. And it, it's not the same as friendship either. And it's not the same as a work colleague, not the same as a friend, and not the same as a mentor. It's a blend of all of those things together mm. that you give weight to. Anthropologists yeah. speaking there. It is, it is. Yeah, we did get to speak to Donna Trump uh, the other day about Cha Cha Boudoir. For those of us that have never been, but well, I've been, obviously, um, ha- uh, what's, it, what's it about, the night? Well, Cha Cha started, oh God, oh, how long ago now? Seven years ago, eight years ago. And it was, uh, at the time, there were quite a lot of people doing the drag. Um, but there was absolutely, not nowhere, but there were very few opportunities. And Davina, you know this. A drag queen, when she gets a gig... She holds on to that gig and she doesn't want any other drag queen to do it. Because, you know, we exist in a, a, in, a, an, an, uh, in a situation where when you get a gig, you need to hold on to it because I guarantee you some, somebody else is going to come and they're going to undercut you. It's a vicious, vicious cutthroat world. And so, yeah, so with, with Chai Chai, we wanted yeah. to create a space where people could get up on stage with the looks they've made. Get you know, just do something very quick. Became a form of like storytelling, and people had to pitch to join in. But it was where that new performers could get up on stage, give being on stage a try. Um, and we had a different, uh, a different theme every month, and we kind of mixed it in with the club night. So, and, and it became sort of a really. I was watching back some of the videos the other night, and um, some of the stuff was like really, really challenging and really, really interesting because people took the theme and then figured out a way that they could tell a queer story with it. And I think that's one of the really magical things about drag. But you had lots of, of different kinds of drag queens all coming, all doing it. Um, which then is funny because although you have that possession that people have over gigs, the funny thing is that when you invite people in, they end up bringing their own people. And the newness of the situation ends up bringing more people in as well. So it became its own little of course, kind of yeah. local success. Um, but yeah, it's and every, everybody's heard of it in Manchester, definitely. What, where did the idea come from? Um, I spent a lot of time in in the states. So that year, I'd spent um, some time in San Francisco, and I loved the tipping culture. So at Cha Cha, we give people fake money so they can tip the performers. So it becomes a little kind of competition in a fun way. Although they got vicious. They did get vicious. <laughs> it's paper money for God's sake. But people really started to invest in it. We we kind of thought it was a bit of a joke. Um, but the the idea came from that ability to create some way of the audience interacting with the performer, um, but also just to create a space. And then um, Anna had been offered a, a night at cruise, and so together we kind of set about coming up with the format with a DJ friend of ours, Danny, um, and it kind of okay. took on a life of its own after that. And then it, and it ran monthly for five years. And then we do we normally do about two parties every year. So we're going to hopefully do something for Pride this year, but we'll see what the current restrictions upon oh, our hopefully. lives dictate. Yeah, that would be quite. That would be a bit of compensation, at least for us not being able to have Pride. Is getting to have getting to have Char Char definitely. Have you been yourself, Davina? I take it. Uh, yeah, I have, but I've only been twice. I think I've been twice. So the first. I mean, first... it was noted. I'm just saying. No, I... <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, I was working. <laughs> it's very difficult to take time off when you're a drag queen. So totally. the, the first time I went, I went in, 
I've got this ridiculous big red love heart wig and then I've got these enormous boots, which I just remember trying to get down cruise stairs in these 14 inch high boots was a challenge. Right. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Those stairs are Oh, the yeah. ceiling, the ceiling in the club. Yeah. This is like a proper basement bar. Like you must like, have been hunched all the Hunching evening. over all the time. Yeah. But it was great. I really enjoyed the the because it, because like you say, everybody brings something different to the night. And then the way that you organise the space as well, where it kind of moves around and something will happen there and then it just sort of pops up and it happens. And people recognise it's happening and they just, they move out of the way, you know, so that everybody can uh, take it in. I I really enjoyed that. And it was definitely like more of where my uh, kind of, my kind of art was, you know, like that a bit more challenging, a bit more difficult, a bit more kind of a contemporary. And there's a message there going on. Um, So it was more kind of, towards the art side of stuff that I'd been making rather than the very commercial side of stuff that I, I generally make. But theatrical as well. And I think you're, you're a person very much, you know, you have a real um, strong feeling of the theatre in, in the things that you do. And I know you do a lot of theatre work alongside the kind of regular drag that you do. Not regular, it's regular drag. It's like regular drag. You <laughs> know, regular yeah. drag. <laughs> I, but you do, you know. But they, yeah. those words bleed into one another, don't you? And like the idea of telling a story and telling uh, and having a message, you know, that's another way of putting it. And that very much reads in all of the work you do. And I think it, it, it's in all drag. It always makes me laugh when drag queens say, I'm not political. And I'm like, you... Are uh, uh, and even like and I'm talking about very you know cisgendered male drag queens here, not you know the great variety of people who do drag, um, and always have done drag. But you know cisgendered male drag queens who go, oh, what I do, it's not political. I'm like, you are a cisgendered male person. You are wearing a wig and a dress. For some people, that is profoundly challenging their worldview. Profoundly challenging. Whether you believe you are politically involved in something or not, you are politically engaging right now. You are literally slamming a political message into the face of certain people. It's just because their worlds are so queer and wonderful that they have no idea the impact it has on the rest of heteronormative cisgender society. (laughs) Very that. Very that. Very that. Well, I had four coffees today, Davina. <laughs> it's that Sunday... Do you know the Sunday buzz? The Sunday coffee buzz? Ooh, stayed up a little bit too late last night and I am compensating. <laughs> so, Chenet, you were invited to do a TED Talk. That's something I'm never going to be asked to do, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, about the power... Yeah, about the power of drag. Um, what was that experience like for you? It was good. Did you watch it? I haven't had a chance to see it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it. (laughs) Oh, oh, thanks, Davina. Thank you. Um, No, it was good. Like, it was was interesting. It's like one of those things that's on the bucket list, isn't it? You know what I mean? To do a TED Talk. I bet you've probably got one in the pipeline, Davina. And um, it's, it's an interesting experience to be asked to boil down an idea right and it's funny because you do it and then I, I look back at it now and they're like I'd have done I'd have done something totally different now because looking back yeah. and I'm glad I did it because it's like it got that little bit out of my system that I wanted to do and talk about how what a great powerful thing drag can be um 
but I think you know I would have gone about things a bit differently. But it was it was a wonderful experience. It was in Royal Tunbridge Wells. How how very lovely. Very incredibly <laughs> middle class, and the the crowd the crowd were incredibly polite and like incredibly. I don't think they knew at all what to do with me, and I'm not used to being in a crowd of people who really <laughs> don't know. Do you know when people? And I don't think it was malicious. I think genuinely, when when people who who live in quite small towns and the team were amazing, the team were very cool, very kind of groovy. Um, but then a lot of the crowd who come, you know, I don't think they're used to that sort of presentation. Mm. And so, not yeah. out of malice, but they're, they're nervous because I feel like people worry about whether it's appropriate to laugh when somebody different is on stage. Yeah. You know, even when I'm a person yeah. out there, like, yeah. I'm, I was trying my best. All sort of looking yeah, at each exactly. other. Come on, boom! <laughs> I mean, in my, I mean <laughs> that's what I'm saying to myself. It wasn't my terrible, terrible comedy <laughs> ability. It wasn't me. It was the audience. Yeah, they were very dry. <laughs> Do you know, they were like, they were like a rich tea biscuit. How okay. on earth is it called a rich tea? It should just be called a miserable no piece of paper. <laughs> oh, I like, love rich tea biscuits. There's nothing rich about it, foul. <laughs> so you talk about the acronym DRAG in, in the TED Talk itself. We're going there, are we, Davina? I mean, I, this is a very contentious uh, thing for me anyway, you know, because we both read, we're both academic, we both... You know, so, and I'm evidence-based. I want the evidence for, for this. Totally. So you kind of dispel some of the ideas about that statement. Um, so t- tell me about that. So um, this great story of D-R-A-G, dressed resembling a girl, as espoused by numerous... Well, there's only one well-known drag icon, isn't there? As espoused by, by a, a, a drag icons... Um, all over the place. So the idea that the word actually comes from dressed resembling a girl. Um, and it's it's one of those ideas that is often used to exclude people from drag. And I think that's where you have to take that logical progression. Because people say women aren't allowed to do drag. People say trans people aren't allowed to do drag. That somehow the, the very idea of drag by definition, is a man dressing up as a woman. And that has an impact on what you can do with drag, both in the form and style of what you might present to the world um, and the stories that you may tell, but also the people who are actually allowed to do it. And what that ends up doing is reinforcing those kind of binaries and power dynamics that exist in our society, which is the most undrag thing you can possibly do. And so um, (laughs) I read some stuff online around it and... What's interesting about that period of time, so people date it back to Shakespearean England, and Shakespeare, who was the only um, playwright in England during Elizabethan <laughs> England, um, you know, the only one anyone ever seems to mention. Apparently, Shakespeare, what he would do, he would write D R A G in the margins of the play whenever a male um, identifying performer would dress up in a female role, dressed resembling a girl. And there's several reasons why this this is just nonsense. The first one being that they didn't use acronyms. So Shakespeare would not have been writing an acronym. Not till much later. Till much later. Well, and actually at a time when, when women were allowed on stage. So the argument is that because women weren't allowed on stage, all the men had to play the women's parts. And so therefore, um, they, they needed this way of, of, of determining... Because that, that wouldn't be obvious. Which is funny because actors know what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? If your if your character's called Julia, most of the time you're going to be playing a Julia. You know what I mean? So what what 
you've got that idea that acronyms didn't exist. They didn't come around until much later when women were allowed on stage. So actually it wouldn't have been needed. That D-R-A-G thing wouldn't have been needed anyway. It's implicit in the very title of the character role. Um, and the, the more likely explanation for where the word drag comes from is about theatricality. And it's about the size of a large costume and how it would drag along the ground. But you would describe an actor playing a, a king or a queen as being in their drag. So a king, kings and queens, because, you know, kings and queens are both drag too, right? So that would be the drag of the costume on the floor. But also you might describe a working girl in the back alley as being in a drag, you know what I mean? Because the dress would drag along the ground. Or the ladies in their finery walking on the promenade would be in their drag because their drag was dragging along the ground. So it wasn't something that was only about being on stage. It was about presenting this big, huge, over-the-top version of yourself. So whenever somebody says to you that the origin of the word drag is dressed resembling a girl, they're not giving you some secret origin story that only queer people know. What they are doing is they're reviving the good old-fashioned tradition of patriarchal oppression, because it's actually all about saying, women, you're not allowed to do something. I think the notion that, um, that drag should exclude people, so an art form that's about playing with gender, playing with class, playing with, you know, species, that the idea that a group of people could be excluded from that art form based on their genital configuration, you know, based on the fact whether they identify as a man or a woman. Like, that's just such a silly thing for me. And um, so, yeah. But I can't think of... I mean, who would ever exclude women from drag? <laughs> okay. No example comes to my mind. Okay, stop shooting the arrows at me. Not you! I've spoken on this. I have been very clear about where I stand on this. <laughs> I know where you stand on this. You, I mean... There's no arrows towards you. And you, and not, not just you. Like, I think the majority... Because, you know what, we live in a world of real drag where actually we understand... Yeah all of the different people who are doing drag. So, and most drag queens I think that you talk to nowadays are like, yeah, of course, my cisgendered female sisters, my trans sisters, they're just, you know, we're all just doing drag. That's how it works. But it's, it's not about us, is it? It's not about what the artists are doing. No, it's not. It's about what everybody <laughs> out there accepts. And with that, I will close my mouth on this subject. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so I've had this, uh, this discussion and people are so aggressive about it. It does mean dressed as a girl. And they're so aggressive about this. It is that. It is that. And you point out, well, why would it be that when none of these things line up to make any sense? Plus, uh, can you show me the the piece of text where he's written drag in the, in the margin? Because it's very rare for Shakespeare to write any stage directions at all. Like, he just doesn't do it. It's, you know, because he was directing his own stuff most of the time. Anyway, but so. you know, But you know what, though? I think the other thing that you should always bring it back to when you have those discussions is look around you. Because yeah. regardless of what the evidence says, because, you know, <laughs> evidence, who'd have, thought that wouldn't, who'd have thought that wouldn't be a motivator for getting people to Good have opinions go. and to engage in debate. But even if you want to totally ignore the evidence, right, look around you. Look at all of the variety of people doing drag and the different kinds of things that are yeah. called drag and the different ways they do drag. The fact that that definition doesn't represent our reality now should be enough. Be less yeah. interested in what drag was and more interested in what we want drag to be. Right? Yeah. 
absolutely that. And you describe drag as finding that thing that people don't see, that I want them to see, and making it the only thing they can oh, see. Oh, you did so, watch it. I'm like, I'm actually like really touched. It all ties really nicely into your next project though, of course, with Drag SOS last year. So just for anybody who hasn't actually seen it, uh, why not? Sort your life out. Can you explain the actual concept of it? We uh, got a bus and we painted it a sparkly pink colour and we drove around the UK visiting small towns and uh, finding people who wanted to have that special moment in the spotlight. Um, and they were people who all had a, a really amazing individual story, but literally we would just rock up in Dover, rock up in Dudley, uh, we went to Scarborough, we went to six different towns in total, and um, we found three people and we helped them to put on a show for all of their loved ones. Um, so it was, uh, and we, we helped them with costume and makeup and all of that sort of stuff, but the point was about allowing them to have that real moment where they could just shine for a day. And there was such a great variety of people that we worked with, it was, yeah, it was a really, really amazing experience. Fabulous. I mean, it actually really was. What part of that stands out for you? Is there anybody in particular that you really remember? Oh, God, yeah, experience? all of them. All of them were amazing. But what stands out for me is that really magical moment where you, you, you have people realise that um, what is... Uh, that there's something particular about them too, right? And, that, and until we start encouraging people who see themselves as the norm to think about what makes them particular and in fact and, and be comfortable with the bits of themselves that they are pushing down because they feel that it doesn't conform to the things they should be and in doing so realizing that they can build a little bit of a sense of um uh, of being in relationship with people who might be radically different from themselves and that happens in two ways because you have the normal people the normal people, no such thing. But the normal people allowing themselves to be extravagant and out there. And at the same time, seeing us, the abnormal people, as actually people who are, are like them and normal. But more than that, are people who can teach them something about their own lives. Because so often what you see of queer people, and this happens a lot as well when you with people in drag, what people want to hear is the terrible sob story about how I'm the victim or the survivor, all of that sort of stuff. And all of that's really important. It's so important to acknowledge those experiences. But at the same time, I also want to see queer people in positions of strength, in positions of mentorship, because you know what? We have got a lot to offer the world in helping the world understand itself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely that. I kind of more uh, existentially, that's how I feel about everybody. You know, we're all here to teach each other something about what it is to just exist. And I think that lots of the conversations that we're having um, in the media and stuff like that are doing the absolute opposite of that. You know, they're not acknowledging that these people who exist, who have been here forever and are being forced to hide, actually have something to teach us about this amazing, rich, beautiful, incredible place that we call Earth. That I mean, it's a fucking miracle that we're even here in the first place. Like, the 
you know, so I absolutely agree with you that there is, you know, so much that people who are particularly on the sidelines can teach everybody about what it is to be. And things that fall, you said earlier, the idea of anything becoming too defined kind of loses its ability to challenge then, right? So teaching people about being okay with the fact that, you know, some things are quite fluid and uncertain and you know what I mean? I don't, like, for pronouns... I, when people ask me my pronoun, and I, I have to say this all the time with the caveat of, if you have a pronoun that you, pre- you prefer, I am absolutely 100% there for working on making sure I get it right, working with you to make sure other people get it right. If that's important to you, you go for it. But for me, I'm, I'm quite into the idea of challenging the very idea of pronouns altogether. So when people ask me, I'm like, well, I'd like you to use all of them or neither of them. Do you know what I mean? You know, I'd like you to use every single pronoun you can in equal measure. If you gender me consistently, I'll be incredibly offended. Um, Or actually embrace the idea that maybe we should start to think about human beings beyond that very simple understanding linked to what's going on in their underwear. Right? Yeah. Which is wrong anyway. So. And we see that definitely in the show. So just as, you know, one person working in the industry to another who pitched that show how did how can i get one myself it was me <laughs> well, i don't think there's going to be a second series so oh, damn um, them because i know I feel, I, i'm genuinely fuming about that i am genuinely fuming well, you, about you just got to let it go though haven't you like you've just got to let it go move on and go well if they don't want to do it they don't want to do it that's fine um but and, and i'm i mean so real shame. what it was yeah um, you should be you know what i mean yeah. and yeah. yeah, but you are, you are right. It kind of works, doesn't it? You you find that town size. Like, so your first one yeah. um, was Dover, I want to say. Yeah, Dover. Um, and you found that perfect town size, which is about the same size as the town I come from and Davina comes from, where you know you're going to find that perfect person who you can just make a big impact on. Not necessarily, like, trying to find somebody who just hasn't got a clue. It's like you, you can make the biggest difference to that person. And it's really evident through the show. It's really, really good. Has anyone... What, have you got a favourite person who you managed to transform? Um, I love Siobhan. I love Anna. So, um... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Siobhan was, um... Siobhan, sorry was um, a domestic violence survivor. Um, And then uh, Anna was the uh, person whose husband was, well, I'm not gonna spoil it. Um, because yeah. it's, it's very upsetting <laughs> yeah so, of course it's, if anybody hasn't seen it but yeah it's a fantastic show definitely definitely I get weepy over anything though I'm like the end of EastEnders I'm like <laughs> so you know <laughs> I'm like he's changed his life <laughs> so that, we, we pitched that I, that crazy idea so I pitched the crazy idea to them of the idea that like she, you know this you, you you tell yourself these things I mean your sister's doing you tell yourself things you're like you know what when, you, when you've had a little bit of a sweet sherry you're like do you know what maybe it's not just about being on stage and being fabulous I think drag might be an incredibly powerful like amazing life changing experience and you kind of you tell yourself this stuff when you're drunk and um, and you kind of don't really know whether it's that case so I pitched that idea to the, the people at Channel 4 and um not really knowing whether it was going to pan thinking we probably wouldn't get the show, not really knowing whether it was going to pan out. And then obviously when it did start to pan out and you see actually that this moment in the spotlight, this moment of being part of your community and your family in a way that's so profoundly weird and different, um, it really started to have a real impact on people. And, and you know, people would be tearful, people would be um, making life changes, people, some people change career, you know. Um, and that's like quite affirming of what we do. You know what I mean? 
So you see that and you go, oh God, yeah, there is a point. It's not just about earning money from the gig and trying to sell t-shirts and you know doing all of that stuff that we have to do in order to survive. There is something mm. else there that makes it worthwhile. There's a point. Um, so am I right in thinking that you say that everybody should try drag at least once in their life? Um, I, think some, I think some people, maybe they don't want to or don't need to. I don't, I, I don't have any investment in whether somebody, in whether somebody, because they're going to come for the gigs, Davina. You've got, you've got to be careful when you're encouraged to get into drag. <laughs> this is true. Do you know what I mean? We, we're already saturated enough. <laughs> but um, I think, and I don't have a personal investment in it. I mean, I love it. I love it if people can get something out of it. And I wouldn't want to say that you have to do it. But what, I'm, what I would say is that it has an impact and it can have an impact, you know. And I think if you are wanting to explore who you are and what makes you comfortable and what makes you uncomfortable and what that's about and how that connects in with the rest of the world, I'm just saying it's a really great way to do that. Maybe it doesn't suit everyone. Some people do it through writing. Some people do it through painting. Some people do it through, well, certain things we probably can't talk about on a podcast. But the point is you have to find that way to um, connect with other people um, and be able to, to feel like you're, you have a voice. A lot of people talk about how um, drag is about, we talked earlier about the way drag is about being a woman or being a man or being a particular gender performance. I think there's something about drag that's about finding your power, right? Finding your voice. Um, and that's why for queer people, it, it's you know been such an incredibly important part of our history because we felt for a long time that we have something to say for ourselves mm. and a need to say those things. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really important key part of drag. And like speaking to Lorraine, she said that, and you know, this is somebody who is consistently has been on our TVs forever, is loved by so many people. And yet she talks about when you guys put her in drag, she felt that power. You know, she felt like a superhero and it, you know, she's quite emotional about it when she talks about it because of how it made her kind of question her belief about herself when actually this stuff is inside you. Um, and I think that's what it is for me with drag. It is, it is that ability to just turn all of those um, societal beliefs that have been put on top of us. You know, this is what I am. This is who I should be. And it just turns all of that on its head and you go, oh, actually. You're living, you're living totally for yourself as well. So you know, and if you think about what happens when you make yourself a spectacle in that big over-the-top way, everybody is looking at you. You immediately have everyone's attention. And now we do that all the time. When we go out to a bar, we might doll ourselves up. And, or when we go into a work meeting, we might doll ourselves up a little bit. So we do that in smaller ways every day of our lives. But the difference with that and drag is that often those things we do, sure, we may get something out of it and feel good about the way that we look. But that, it's, it's very much contributed to by the way we want other people to react to us, how they, whether they want us to find us attractive or whether they want to find us professional or all of those sorts of things. With drag, your only job is to subvert people's expectations, which frees you up to show them whatever the hell you want. So you're able to extract that attention, that praise, sometimes animosity, but you're able to take that and it it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they think of you because you've already done your job just by grabbing their attention. And I think that that in itself, that moment of just not having to care 
what somebody else is going to make of you. Taking ownership of the fact that they think you're out there and crazy and strange. And not only do they think you're out there crazy and strange, but most people are going to give you love for it. That's a moment that most people don't get to experience. And that's lovely. It's special. And that's magic. That's like a real, like for me, I talk about magic a lot. And I don't mean kind of like strange mystical powers. I mean the things that we do between one another that have power and meaning and help us to tell stories and change the world. For sure. Well, you guys um, can imagine have felt a little bit of cabin fever over lockdown. I know that Davina's obviously been getting creative online, as have you. But very soon, we're going to get to see you both back on stage. Yes! Aren't we? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh my god. So this so this is coming very very soon in Club Kids Manchester. Yeah. It's going to be good. I'm I excited. understand. So when is this? When is this? Oh, you know Davina, come on, you've got the dates booked in. Do I? Yeah, come no, on. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> don't ask the drag queens. <laughs> well, it's the end of August. I'm super excited. Um Perfect. you'll be able to find all of the details online, which I mean, yep. just check out Club Kids and you'll be able to find that out. Now, Cheddar uh, where can where can we find you if we want to find you <laughs> on the social <laughs> yeah. it's one of the it's always those questions isn't it I'm like well I'm not sure I should tell you after that after that kind of a statement that sounded very trying much like to a dod- trying to dodge the cleaner in a bar <laughs> at home I'm at home I've been at home the entire time I didn't leave I didn't go to the restaurant um, we're on local lockdown um, so you can find me digitally at uh, on Instagram at cheddar underscore gorgeous. Um, or you can find me on YouTube if you really want to watch old videos of me and Anna Falati getting drunk in a club. Um, and then uh, you can find... And if you want to experience um, passive-aggressive trolling of, of uh, politicians, then uh, you should go to Twitter. Because I do, I do like to get on Twitter and um, allow my anger to get out there. I probably should deal with that. But it's cheaper than therapy. That's what I found with Twitter. You know what I mean? It's, uh, <laughs> and I'm kind of a lot more effective, even though, you know, nobody sees it. So I'm totally following the passive aggressiveness and loving that. And I can't wait to uh, spend some time with you in a socially distanced, very safe uh, performance. Oh, so Cheddar, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully we, I'll see you then. Lots of love. See you soon. Bye. <laughs> well, we have come to the end of the episode. This has been Fierce Slay Talk. You can join us on our journey by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Fierce Slay Talk. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us going on. We could talk for hours. And if you enjoyed the show, let your friends know. Go on, spread the word. Be sure to review the podcast as well. Till next time. You want it. You got it. I won't hold back. Come snatch it. Come take it. All yours right off the rack. No wanting. No waiting. You shake me down. You touch it. You taste it. Come take me here and now. Try it and buy at the top of the stack. Bag it and snag it, no need to attack. Instant and present, hit go and play back. Right now, right now. Take it and tame it, walk me to the door. Have it and hold it, you only want more. Live it and love it, you've got it, it's yours. Right now, right now.